I love transferring the skills that I've acquired into others so that they can accomplish things that they never before thought were possible. Business is not magic. There's no magic pill. There's a bunch of golden BBs. There's a big difference in somebody that knows how to make six figures, shows up to work every day, and somebody that wants, that has the aspiration to make six figures, you know? And so it's just the, the mistake that everybody makes is they try to go get cheap talent, they try to hire their friends, and they think that they can run a true sales and market organization on sales reps that are okay making $3,000 a month. And it's just not the case. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Let It Up podcast. If you're new to this channel and you want to know everything about making money in real estate, selling, sales skills, building your business, or investing, then subscribe below, tap the bell for notifications so you can be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful. Let's talk about adding leverage. So we've been getting a lot of calls of people asking us how we've hired virtual assistants to scale and leverage our business. So we've opened up our playbook to all of you. If you're looking to add leverage in your business, whether it's administrative support, ISA outbound callers, go to adleverage.com and they'll be there to help you staffing your team. All right. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur with a sales and leadership background. He's an eight figure wholesaling coach. He's got two companies, right? Padley and Wartime CEO, Ren Bartlett. Thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, hey, what's up, guys? Excited to be all with you. Now, excited to spend some time. Yeah, if you're listening to this, Ren looks like he was in 300. He looks jacked and he has this, his helmet in the back. The He's ready to go to war. Yep. So excited to get intense on this one. So before we do, yeah. let's get with the lightning round. Ren, we're going to hit you with the lightning round questions. This is just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Some icebreakers here. So no pressure, man. Let's hit it. All right, Ren. Who had the most influence on you growing up? Chuck Liddell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, man, probably, probably my mom. She uh, she was a single mother, and so she was always around, hardworking, loving, kind soul. I like that answer. That's a big difference from Chuck Liddell, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Unless your mom reminds you of Chuck Liddell. All right. Uh, <laughs> then you got other problems. <laughs> if you could go back in time, what's one thing you would tell your teenage self? Be bold and you deserve and you can accomplish anything that you set your mind to. Mm. Double question. What changed? What changed? Um, or what event made you actually start being bold? That's a great question. I don't know. That's pretty deep. Uh, I think it was a series of events. Uh, probably just getting tired of being mediocre to begin with. I also had a daughter. And, uh, you know, all I ever wanted to be growing up was a really good dad. I didn't have one growing up. And so when I found out I was having a kid, it was time to level up. And so I think that really pushed me to become the version of myself that, that I am today. Unapologetic. Unapologetic. I like that. Love it. What chance encounter changed your life forever? Yep. So uh, the, the biggest one that comes to mind is uh, probably when I was about 25 years old, I was a, a bartender, not in a professional career at all. And, uh, I'd recently gotten fired from my job and I was selling everything in my house to try to pay rent. And uh, this guy calls me and he's like, Hey, I see this mattress that you have for sale. I need it for my son. And I was like, it was the bed that I was sleeping on, on the mm -hmm. floor. 
And I was like, all right, come on over. He pulls up in a shiny Mercedes in a suit and gets out of the car talking on the phone. I open the, he knocks on the door, I open the door. He comes in, he looks at the mattress, he shakes his head no, and he walks out and he hangs up the phone as he's getting back in his car. And I said, hey, man, whoa, whoa, what do you do for a living? He said, I own an advertising agency. And I said, great, I'm coming to work for you. And he looked at me and said no and got in the car and left. And I blew him up for uh, probably two to three weeks before he gave me an opportunity to come into his uh, come into his office and interview with his guys where, you know, I actually went to work for free for a couple weeks. And uh, that's kind of how I got out of bartending and into some type of professional career. Damn, man. That's a good story. That is pretty cool. I'm going to ask my favorite question because I think this would be a lineup from there. If you could spend a day with someone, either past or present, who would it be and why? Man, right now I'm on a I'm on an Alex Hermosi kick, so I th- I think I'd go hang out with him. I think the guy's got a very brilliant mind, and I, I've told several people, uh, barring some unfortunate events in his life, I think he's going to become one of the richest men in America. I just think he's that smart, and I think the boat that he is rowing in is one of leverage and the acquisition of large companies and uh i think i think he's going to build an empire and i i wanted i'd love to be able to pick his brain yeah i like that answer he's definitely a fan favorite good answer good answer all right man let's jump into it so as we were talking about as we were kind of preparing for today's conversation you know a lot of our viewers sort of um are incentivized by like a prospecting hunting mindset Talk to us a little bit about how you got into the wholesaling business. Were you in real estate before? Were you ever an agent? What made you get into wholesaling? And uh, talk to us a little bit about that, how you got your start. Yeah, so as I kind of alluded to earlier, I I started my professional career in advertising and uh, by accident, right? I just taught myself how to build websites. From there, I accidentally sold a website to uh, somebody that we were doing media buying for, and I made a commission. And uh, that commission check was probably three times what I was currently getting paid for. And I said, well, what is this? The guy, the owner of the company come up and he hands me this $5,000 check. I'm like, what is this? He goes, it's your half. I said, half of what? He's like, you sold a $10,000 website and then you built it. You get, this is what you get. And I said, I'm in sales. I'm not in website development anymore. And so that kind of, we built that agency up pretty large and I ended up leaving there and going to another agency where at the time I was a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and what he was doing on social media. And so I started doing what Gary was doing, right? Started making content every single day, every day, Snapchat, you know, Facebook back then. And uh, I got the attention of a real estate investor, a guy that owned a wholesale company. They were doing probably 50, 60 deals at the time. And how I would get business is I was an ambassador for the Chamber of Commerce. And when you're an ambassador for the Chamber of Commerce, you get the list of all the new members and you get to stop by on what they would call a popcorn visit to introduce yourself and let them know, hey, I want to help you make the connections. It was my end to be able to have you know a conversation with new business owners. And so I popped in on him and he was like, I know your face. I follow you on social media all the time. We formed a relationship. We had some some common interests. And then, uh, you know, before you know it, a month or two later, he was like, hey, I want to make you a job offer. I think you're exactly what I need inside of this wholesale company. And I turned him down. I said, I'm an ad man. Uh, it's my identity. It's who I am. It, it's how I identify as I, I, I sell advertising. And um, 
Shortly after that, I had an annual review with the advertising agency that I was with where I was supposed to become a partner. I found out that I was not going to become a partner. He also cut my commissions down pretty big. So I called my previous partner up and I said, hey, add some equity options in on that and I'll, I'll start tomorrow. And he did. We did. And uh, we took that company in five years from about 50 deals a year to over 100, 125 deals every single month. Wow. So that's kind of how I got into real estate. Holy shit. All right. So 50 deals a year to 100 to 120 a month. Mm -hmm. Walk us through that. With how big of a team? (laughs) We had a pretty big team. We had uh, nine offices over four states. We had a call center in Belize that had... 75 80 agents in it i think i i can't tell you exactly how many like employees we had but it was north of 200 we had you know five or six acquisition agents in each office two to three disposition reps tons and tons of lead managers we had a full executive team i think nine executives ceo coo director of marketing director of lead management director of dispositions acquisitions title and uh director of people so it was a pretty robust company wow People tend to overcomplicate the, or it's just, there's not much information out there. So they overcomplicate everything. It's just, you really need the acquisitions. You need somebody to manage everything in between dispositions. And then for you to get someone to expedite the acquisition side, you need the leads to come in in a faster form and fashion. How did you scale it? What was your role in the company? So I was the COO for a period of time up until probably year four. And then I transitioned to CEO, but you know, everybody in wholesaling, especially they think they need a COO, right? That's like the buzzword. It's the magic word. I don't think that that's true. I think you need a badass director of sales and somebody that has a pretty good understanding of marketing. And that's what I did the entire time. Like my title was COO, but I'm not good at spreadsheets. I'm not good at math. I'm good at building sales teams. And where you could, even when I was the CEO, where you could find me most of the time was in a market covering for, or covering training or recruiting. You know, if the market was down, I was there building it back up, making sure that it hits revenue. So eventually over time, our director of marketing, we identified was far better at what the company needed from a COO perspective at the time. And we made that transition. Uh, and he took my job and my title and I kind of went titleless for a while until, you know, the partner that I had decided that, that I was the, the fit for the CEO role. Yeah. So for somebody who's leading individuals and is a sales trainer, walk us through how you would actually get somebody who's in a marketplace that's not producing to produce. Yep it's really dependent upon the person and why they're not producing. So you have to truly understand them. You know, one of my favorite sayings is seek to understand before being understood. And, you know, there's could be a 15 different reasons why they're not producing, but I believe that there's four main pillars that make up a salesperson attitude, work ethic, skill set, and strategy, right? Attitude and work ethic are the sole responsibility of the sales rep in itself. Skill set and strategy belong to both. The skill set has to be transferred from the sales manager to the salesperson, and they have to be coachable enough to take and build upon that skill set themselves. The strategy has to be given by the company. And so, you know, you have to determine where's the deficit exist inside of the salesperson. And, you know, 
once you can understand that you coach to the deficit, if they take to the coaching and they get 1% better and make changes after every encounter, there's somebody that I would consider continuing to invest my time and resources into. And then if they don't, it becomes a very easy decision. Yeah. So if they got the attitude, if they got the work ethic and if they're coachable in the skill set and the strategy, you begin to shape and form them into what you want and, and give them the skills, breed the skills into them that will help them become successful over a period of time. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. No, I love how you said that, those four pillars, because it always there's that military analogy that they say it's logistics before tactics. So if you're going to go conquer a country, you need to make sure you have the logistics of where the food, where the water is going to come so they can survive. And then the tactics come second because how you're going to kill the enemy doesn't matter if you can't survive on your own in that land. So the attitude. I like that. Yeah, right. So that that what's on their side is more important because that needs to be there and you can build the foundation if they're going to absorb the information, be coachable. Is it fair to say with what you said that if they have a good attitude and they're coachable, they'll be a great salesperson then? Those are the two indicators? No, it's not fair to say at all. I think that they could survive for a period of time. And, you know, most, most of the time, the plague that exists in most sales organizations is number one, bad leadership. Number two, bad management. They're two very different things. And number three, a lack of accountability bakes in between there, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are good at hiding mediocrity and they do just enough to survive, but not, not in one of my organizations. And so they can have attitude, they can have skill set, but we're going to push to become the best version of yourself. And if you don't have not build if it's not in your dna to be in sales you don't truly enjoy it if you have the wrong personality profile you're going to burn out you're not going to be fulfilled you know there's a ton of people that have the title of salesperson that have no business being in sales but just because the company tees them up with enough leads they're not held accountable in such a way that they can survive and be in sales you know forever the average salesperson makes like forty thousand dollars a year the average realtor makes like twenty thousand dollars a year like they're okay with mediocrity but i want to run a high performance salesperson and you have to be in it you have to love it you have to live it you have to breathe it yeah yeah no i agree there's definitely a uh, an obsession factor with learning the skills and seeing where it can take you from there and it's like when you see somebody light up when they try something that they're learning then that's when you know they're going to actually be successful, I feel. Because at that point in time, then that's where the obsession starts. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Or when they see that the, the new skills that they're taking in are actually working. Yeah. Well, that's what happened with me. One pickup line worked, and I was like, I'm using this even more, and now I need to learn even more. <laughs> he's, he's going back to the dating analogy. Yeah. So the dating analogy is essentially dating is like sales, right? You're going to open up because your, your physiology is telling you you need the this woman's attention right so you're going to try it you're probably going to get shut down the first couple times and then eventually you're like oh she smiled when i did this or i said that joke and then you're able to to say okay i got one step better another step better and you're able to build on that skill level uh that wasn't there before the biggest obstacle in at least in real estate sales is finding the people who want to put in the work and there's not many that want to put in the work or they have a false idea that it's an easy industry to get into that's where like actually like using leverage of people internationally, like you have a call center in Belize, right? We would use a lot of people in the Philippines. Their work ethic was a lot more, uh, was stronger than the people in the US. So it was harder to identify those kind of struggles. How would you coach someone through that or what advice would you have? Coach them through what? So getting good people, good quality people to actually want to work. Yeah, so I think it starts with understanding 
who you are as a person, understanding what your mission and your purpose is. So I have a, a story that I tell pretty often. It goes back to early stages of our company when we had core values that we created that we kind of identified with it with the time. They were very dominant core values. Like I'll, I'll give you an example of one. It was crush the competition, right? And the mission and the vision and the purpose of the company was to make Ren rich. And I was having a very hard time recruiting and attracting the type of person that I thought I wanted, right? So the people that I could get were the cigarette smoking car salesmen, right? They were just beating down the door to come in. But who I wanted was the elite high class professional that was very focused, very career driven, family oriented, wanted to better themselves, you know, health, fitness, marriage, you know, had the high morals and really wanted to help you know, that that's kind of what I had the vision to have, but we weren't casting that mission. We weren't casting that vision. And so I think how you have to recruit those type of people is you have to be very clear on your mission and your purpose. You have to craft it in a way to attract people. And so going back to the example that I was going to give, I was, I was trying to hire a videographer and I, I couldn't find one. And I kept raising the price, raising the price, raising the price. And so I'm sitting in church one day with my wife and we go to this church in Alabama that puts on this great production, right? The best musicians, the best singers, the best video, the best audio people, the best photographers. It's just, it's breathtaking. It's, it's like you're at a concert, you know, and I'm looking around and there's all these videographers there. And I kind of look at my wife and I'm like, Hey, how much do you think they pay these people? And she's like, Ren, you're a dumbass. They don't pay them anything. They work for free. And I was like, work for free? And I can't pay one? And I'm like, hold up. And so I, I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, why are they here working for free? And the first answer was like, well, duh, God, right? They're here. They're serving God. But I wasn't okay with that answer. I was like, it's got to be something. What is God? Well, if you think about it from the most macro standpoint, God is community, connection, and purpose. And, I, and then the light bulb went off. And I was like, nothing about my company says community connection. connection or purpose. And so I went back to my partner and I was like, listen, we are playing checkers. We are not playing chess. We have to rewrite the mission. We have to rewrite the purpose, the values, what we stand for, what the, what is the narrative of what we're doing in the community. And so we got to work and we made we made it a people and a, and a service-based focus, right? Our, our slogan at the time, I think, was improve lives, elevate communities, challenge the standard. And we made it about improving the community. And as we started doing that, we rewrote the values. We were, it just magically, we were able to attract people whose purpose aligned with that. If I'm out selling somebody on coming to work at my company, and they're like, what do you guys do? It's like, well, we buy crappy houses, we fix them up, and we make a lot of money on it. And they're like, sounds okay or sounds sketchy. And then they go to Google, and they search in wholesaler, and they see, you know, predatory-type language. And they're like, yeah, I'm not leaving my job at Salesforce or my job at this, you know, really well-to-do and well-branded company to come work for this little two-bit wholesaling shop. But – when we change that narrative and align it with a greater purpose, one of good, people can come in and get behind that, right? Everybody wants to help people. Everybody wants to improve the communities. Everybody wants to be in a place where they are rewarded for their work. And so you have to rebuild your purpose and make sure that it has connection, community, and purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and once we did that, the 
recruiting piece become much, much easier. The culture became much, much better, right? I'll give you one example of a shift that we made. We have a Slack channel, and when we would do a deal, we would post in there. It would say something like, man, just got a 30K banger, right? We're making $30,000. Like We stopped doing that. What we started doing is if we get a contract, we still celebrate, but we celebrate the impact that we had on that seller's life. We tell their story. And then, you know, so now our reps are going home and they're sharing the stories of how they've impacted people every single day. And they're telling their wives and they're telling their coworkers or not their coworkers, but maybe fellow church members or people at the racket club or people on the golf course are like, man, and you make how much money doing that? And you get to help people doing that. That sounds way cooler than what I do every single day. Like, how do I get on board with that? Yeah. Right. So. You know, with that, the reverse of that is nobody's going to go out and just brag if it's all about money, yeah. right? And and what they're doing to make the money. And so, I think you just gotta you gotta really have a strong purpose for what you're doing. And if you can influence that through community and connection, you're doing a better job. Yeah, I think it it reminds me of a time like as I was telling you when we were preparing today that Kira and I are both obviously um, realtors, and I remember I had a coach years ago. I think it was Kathy Anderson or or somebody who had told me, you know, instead of trying to do 50 deals this year, we're trying to help 50 families, right? Because when you shift the focus from deals to families, everything else changes. And But you can't just say, it's not just the words you use. I have to actually think like, how am I helping, you know, this family? And it's, well, you know, they had a problem. It was selling the house. I was the solution and we helped them get from New Jersey to Chicago. Whatever, whatever it was. So mm-hmm. just shift that mindset from deals to families or deals to, you know, how many, how many uh, people I'm going to help this year. Yeah. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference. Yeah. They say entrepreneurs enjoy or love 5% of the businesses they have and they hate the other procedures of the 95%. What's, what drives you, what drives you in your business? I love building people. I love transferring the skills that I've acquired into others so that they can accomplish things that they never before thought were possible. Mm. Can you share a story of something that was like profound for you when you, like a change that you made in an individual? Sure. So there was um, a young lady that come in to interview for our office, uh, for our office. And um, I only hired her. She, she was interviewing for the lead management position way back when. I only hired her because she was very pleasant and she was the only person that would take the job for $30,000. Fast forward five years, she's a 27-year-old making well into the uh, six figures, managing uh, an entire acquisitions division of about anywhere from 30 to 40 grown-ass men. And she was a hammer. And so, but I was able to, you know, I seen something in her. She was super curious. She wanted to learn. She was not scared of accountability. She wasn't scared of having the tough conversation. She was a sponge and she was, you know, she was what she needed to be when she needed to be. And she wanted more. Right. And I was, there was skills that I had, there was knowledge that I had that I was able to transfer into her. And she was smart enough to go out and build on her skill set herself. And so it's stories like that. And, you know, the, the uh, marketing director we had that ended up taking my role as the COO, right. That was like so amazing for me to see our, you know, I can remember a sales rep calling me and it's like, Ren, I made more money this month than I made all of last year. Mm. Thank you for that. You know, are just the the freedom and the flexibility and the job security. So it, it's the things like that that really drive me. 
Um, you know, and I like to win as well. Yeah. So as we were talking before, again, it's, it's, I think a lot of the people who subscribe to our channel are people who are either realtors that are looking to grow their team or they're people that are looking to get into wholesaling and, and hiring and hiring the right people is always something that, um, is often difficult. I know it's been difficult for me when you're hiring for a wholesaling team. I imagine you're probably not pulling people other from other wholesaling companies just because it's, it's still not, you know, as big of a business as, as, as people think, where are you pulling these people from? Are you pulling people, are you pulling your salespeople from other sales businesses? Like you said, like either car sales, are you pulling them from what industries and, and how are you building this team that you've been able to build? Yep. So anytime I go to build a company, the first thing I'm hiring, if, if I'm starting from scratch is, is an executive assistant. The second thing I'm hiring is a recruiter because I'll handle the sales. I'll handle the marketing until we're ready for anything else. But we, we have a full-time recruiter and his job is to go out and headhunt the employee. I do not want to hire the unemployed unless there's a radical reason for their unemployment. Maybe there was layoffs or downsizes or a, a merger and acquisitions or a big life change where, you know, I had one uh, guy that come to work for us. And he was amazing. Probably our only really successful hire off a job ad. And he was sick of living in the snow and wanted to come live at the beach. And, you know, that that's like the one anomaly. So we're always out recruiting. You always have amazing talent hiding right in plain sight in front of you. And so we're just aggressive in talent acquisition. We tell everybody what we do. All of our people are incentivized to, to bring referrals and they love what they do and they love it so much that they want other people to have the experience of working in a culture that provides the opportunities that we do. And it all goes back to serving that greater purpose and beating that narrative over and over and over again, every day, every way. So we just go out and find people that are really successful and we sell them on the vision and mm. what their life could look like if they worked inside of our organization. Yeah, I love that. When you're looking at your business and what you've done so far, now you're you're coaching people. That's the secondary part, correct? Yes. So what got you into wanting to be a coach and, and starting the coaching business? It was kind of by accident. So I am in a, another mastermind that um, you know has a lot of uh, members um, you know, guys that are doing, I think the minimum to be in the group is like 50 deals up to guys that are doing thousands of deals a month. Mm. And I made a, uh, formed a relationship with two uh, younger guys and they were like, Hey man, we see what you're doing. We know the kind of volume you're doing. We know the numbers. We want to pay you to be our mentor. And I had never been approached. I was like, pay me how much? And they told me the amount. And I was like, Hey, okay. <laughs> for how much time, <laughs> how much time? They're like, man, 45 minutes a week. I'm like, all right, cool. And so that led to some a, a referral, which led to another referral, which led to another referral. And before I looked up, I had like, you know, no time on my calendar to dedicate anymore. And then some things happened, some some seasons changed in my life. And uh, I ended up splitting ways with my previous partner. And I just put the word out on the street, so to speak, that I was taking one on one clients and I built such a reputation from our accomplishments um and scaling the business the way that we did that i you know i looked up 30 days later after making that facebook post and i had about 30 one-on-one clients Amazing. uh you know and so it was it was pretty wicked it was it was a good run i, I recently had to wind down most most all of those one-on-one -on -one engagements and we created just a wartime ceo which is a group call where I can impact the same amount of people but in an hour a week on one one hour zoom call and not 12 one hour zoom calls back to back three days a week. So, yeah. um, 
that's kind of how that ended up where it is. That's smart. That's smart. What is, if I was a new person starting with you in the coaching, what can I expect to accomplish in six months, 12 months? Uh, if you come in with us and do exactly what we say, we're going to double your business in 90 days. Nice. Is that because of the making the clear? Because SBA has a, this statistic that says majority of small businesses fail because of lack of the business plan and vision, right? Or under uh, capitalized. And one of the things that you were talking about earlier is being very clear on the mission purpose. Is that one of the things that you go over with people initially? No, no. Uh, because, you know, when somebody signs up with us, right, I want to make sure that they get an immediate return on their investment to make sure that there's no remorse, to make sure that we are truly providing value and doing what we say we're going to do. And so a lot of times we're going to do a quick onboarding call with me. I'm going to give them some uh, frameworks to, to look at their numbers because most of the time younger wholesalers or younger operators in, in business or in sales, they don't know what levers they need to pull. They don't know how to look at the data and see where the holes in the bucket are. And so once we provide them with this framework, I can say, Hey, this is all you have to do is increase this percentage by 15%, increase this one by two and this one by two, and you just doubled your business in 90 days. Now here's exactly how you go do that. Mm -hmm. um, and if they follow that blueprint, they'll be successful. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's not that hard, right? Business is not magic. There's no magic pill. There's a bunch of golden BBs, right? And you have to just know what levers to go pull. Yeah. I just stole that from Alex Hermosi, by the way. I heard that yesterday. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just, you just, most people just don't know, right? We're all figuring it out. Like the, there's no McDonald's franchise manual for running the types of businesses that we run. And so everybody's taking, all of these little bits of information from here and from here, and they don't understand the order of operations in which it should be executed. Mm. And so it's getting the order of operations, knowing how to examine the data and then knowing how to go execute very quickly is typically how we find we can get success for the clients that we work with. Yeah. What's one of the most common uh, mistakes that they make that you find? They go hire 21 year old kids to run acquisitions. <laughs> Because they think they'd be young and hungry when they don't know. Well, they think that, right? And you may be a 21-year-old kid. And so you're like, why would I not hire a 21-year-old kid? Or why can I not go run acquisitions? Well, I can tell you, if you're starting your own business, you're built different than the 21-year-old kid that's coming to work for you. So true. Hands down. You just, you're built different. Okay? So you can do it. That's not me knocking. I got a coaching client right now that's 19 years old. It's probably making $2 million a year. The kid's just, he's a savage. He's built different his five friends that he tried to hire to come run acquisitions alongside him, none of them worked out, right? Because they just, they don't have the desire. They don't have the aspiration. And a lot of times they don't have the life experience. Like it's very rare where you find a younger kid that is running a wholesale operation that had the storybook childhood, right? Mm -hmm. That kid has went some through some type of, um, trials and tribulations right he's he's got that dog in it and younger folks they don't have the needs they don't have the desires like they live with their parents or they yep. live with roommates and their and their their rent's 400 a month and their camry's 295 if they even pay it so they need like 1500 a month to live yeah i need my salespeople to need ten thousand dollars a month to live yeah and the level of professionalism and 
the ability to work a sales process, the ability, the hunger, the drive, like there's a big difference in somebody that knows how to make six figures, shows up to work every day and somebody that wants, that has the aspiration to make six mm -hmm. figures. You know, so many people say, man, I, I want to earn a hundred thousand dollars, but then they have $10,000 habits. They have $10,000 rituals. They have, you know, $1,500 a month friends. And so it's just the, the mistake that everybody makes is they try to go get cheap talent. They got They try to hire their friends, you know, and they think that they can run a true sales and market organization on sales reps that are okay making $3,000 a month. And it's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. That's yeah. Really well said. We had uh, this one coach who was always telling us, you want to hire the breadwinner because if you hire, I'm not knocking, but if you hire the, the person that's like uh, taking care of the kids that wants a hobby, they're not going to do anything with it. They're just going to, it's something well, from, to keep them busy. from an agent's perspective. Yeah, yeah, from an agent's perspective. We all know that agent who just wants to get their license to bring in some extra income, yeah. right? And the, yeah. and the husband or the wife maybe is the breadwinner, and what everything that they bring in is extra. That's probably not the best person to have on your team in our experience. Yeah. Simply because they're, you know, they don't have that fire inside them because it's not do or die. Yeah. You know, they haven't burned their yeah. ships. So, I want so, the guy with a $3,000 a month mortgage. Cause yeah. he knows how to make money. Yeah. Right. So if it's not hiring that 21 year old kid who maybe doesn't know how to make the hundred thousand or hasn't made it, or doesn't have these, these, um, uh, aspirations, aspirations or, or commitments that they need to fulfill. Who is it that you want to hire? I mean, like we talked about, somebody has got the aspirations, but maybe needs it's, it's the where, need to the, where are they coming from? Because again, I, I, that's what, that's where I go to. I'm like, you know, wholesaling is, you're not going to wholesaling XYZ down the street and stealing their acquisition manager. In my opinion, are you taking them yeah. from uh, a lender? Are you taking them from a title company, something real estate related? Where are you finding these people? Uh, I mean, I could run through my list of reps. Like I'm looking at one that come from timeshare, one that was a server in a bar, one that was a director of finance, one that sold software. He ran a property management company and the other guy ran a paint store, Sherman Williams paint store. Sold yeah. paint. So, you know, it, it's what, what I'm looking for is like sales experience is great, but I'm looking for, you know, they just, I, I wish there was an assessment that you could take. Yeah. Once you're done with the assessment, it shows, hey, they got that dog in them or they don't, right? Yeah. And But most of the time, a great predictor of the future is past achievement. And I want to know, were you an achiever? Did you participate, right? Like I, I got a guy now, didn't have much sales experience, but he played college football. And when he went out of college football, he went straight into sales. Like he was the top athlete, and you have to ask the right questions around athletes, right? Were you the best because you were naturally gifted or because you were the hardest working? You know, I made the mistake before hiring the naturally gifted guy. They have no work ethic. I want the guy that was mediocre and found a path to success. So we find them from everywhere. I mean, you know, roofing companies, solar companies, AT&T sales, enterprise. I mean, they come in all shape. One of my top guys right now was a, a server in a restaurant mm -hmm. and he just knew his friend done worked with me. And he was like, I want to do that too. And the friend was like, you'll never get a job with that company right now. And he was like, well, how do I get the job? He's like, well, why don't you come and sit in my office and train with me? And once you can have a good conversation with Rand, because he's going to drill the piss out of you, I'll train you. And once I feel like you're, you're good to go in front of Rand, I'll put you in front of Rand. The kid went over there on his off days and on weekends every 
time he had the chance for three months and I didn't even know about it. And wow. then the guy called me, one of my reps called me and was like, Hey, I hope you're not mad, but I kind of told this guy, you'd give him a chance. I want you to know this is what he's been doing just to earn the right to interview with you. And I was like, yeah, cool. Send him over. Right. And I had this funny little thing that I do in the interview process and it kind of tells whether they got that dog in them or not, but you know, he had it right and he is a sponge and he goes out and every day he tries to get one percent better and he don't try to outsmart himself you know or outsmart the process he just does what it takes to be successful and continues to improve day in and day out can you share that before we get to that hold that thought i want to go there too i think you answered that exactly how i was expecting right it's not just one person, like you said, AT&T sales or somebody who was in hospitality, they were a bartender. I think it is a culmination of people coming from all different paths. But the common thread, in my opinion, is somebody who who's used to juggling a million things at once, whether that's a server in a, in a restaurant or somebody who's a, a loan officer. But the commonality is that they're they're um, accustomed or, or uh, used to Putting dealing out with a, people, a lot of dealing with people, dealing with personalities, dealing with like psychology, dealing with all the different ups and ups and downs in this business, yeah. and being able to yeah. sort of start over the next day and, and and not let it affect you. That's right. But that dog test is important, so yeah. I want to know about that dog test. Are you allowed to share it in the interview? Yeah, I knew that was coming. So we have a we have a pretty extensive interview process, but when they get to the end, they all have to come through me, um, and. So we role play in the interview. They're given uh, a script and told to memorize it, which is a complete facade. We're not going to role play that script at all. They get down in front of me. We get straight to business and I ask them what they currently do, right? What's your current? Can you do the dog uh, test to me? Can I do it? You like you want to do it? Like, yeah, me and you. Yeah. Uh, or is it easier to explain? Yeah, or it probably take us. Th- it's easier. It's easier to explain. Like right. it, it probably take us thirty minutes, right? So, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna say, "Hey, listen, tell me about the what sales do you do now?" And you said you would say, "Well, this guy, for example, he would say, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a server, right? What's your favorite thing to sell?" And he would say, "Well, I love selling these crab cakes." And I'd say, "Okay, great, sell them to me." And so I want to see him sell them. And he's going to sell them and he's going to do an okay job. And I'm going to ask him, all right, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on how well 10 being the best salesperson in the world and one being trash. And so they usually rate themselves eight or above, right? Most people that are applying for sales jobs have confidence. And I'm going to say, okay, fair enough. Would you allow me to try? And they're going to say, yeah, okay. And then I'm just going to crush them, right? Because I love steak. I can eat the shit out of a steak. But any anywhere that they are, like I'm trained in sales for, you know, 10 years. I'm better than they are, right? And I say that humbly. And I also work a process that I know how to make them say yes and get them to buy. Once we're done, I'm going to say, how would you rate me? And it's typically very – I don't think it's ever been lower than them. And I'm going to say, okay, well, listen, I personally think based on my experience, you are more like a two, always a two. And what I'm looking for there is humility because they have just gave their best efforts, but then they was just shown a master in sales and how to do it properly. And I explained the psychology of a few things and ticks and tricks. And then I ask them to do it again. And I say, okay, Hey, you just heard me do it. 
I told you what I did. Now you do it. Let's reverse the role play. And then they're going to go through it again. And I'm looking for a couple things there. I'm looking at their body language. Do they shift in their seat? Are they defeated because I just gave them a two rating? And it's very telling of a person when you tell them to their face that they suck because that's mm. a, a polite way of saying that. And they they modify. Either they modify or they don't. We re-engage in the role play, and I'm looking for coachability now, right? I'm looking for them to model the behavior that I just exhibited, how I worked the sales process, how I got them to say yes. And I want to know if they take to that or do they, do they do the exact same thing over again? From there, I ask them to re-rate themselves. And what I'm looking for there is, again, humility. I want to know, were they coachable? Did they take to the coaching? And then number two, did they rate themselves lower? And by getting that lower rating, it shows that they are humble. They realize that they're not as good as they could be, and they're open to taking the coaching. And so it, it's a weird little psychological uh, trick that it really it's really telling about a human being when you're placed in that situation. Yeah. And there we jump straight to small talk. We work out some if ands, if if ands or if that's. And then I tell them at the end, I, I just kind of get real slow and low. And I say, well, listen, based on what I see today, I don't think you have what it takes to work here. And I just sit there and I look at them dead in the eye. And that's where you're going to see whether they have the dog in them or not. Because they up to this point have been sold so hard on our company that if we've done a good job, they should want to do anything to be inside of our company because of the, the, the display that we put on. And I just crushed their dreams and told them no, that they were not good enough. And if they don't have that dog in them, they'll say, okay, I understand. But the ones that do, they're going to look at you and tell you you're effing wrong. They're going to tell you, you know, they're going to combat you in some shape, form, or fashion. They're going to fight for it. And if you can tell a stranger pretty much, hey, you suck, you're not good enough, and they stand up to you and tell you why they are, they got a little dog in them. Mm -hmm. I like that. And that's what that's what we're looking for. I love that. I like that a lot. I yeah. feel like the person that would shift and get excited. Kiro loves, challenge. Kiro loves those games big time. I'm not joking. I'm jokingly saying it's a game, but it, it's – it's those psychology things. It's it's people that would shift in the body language and get excited too, I feel would be a good tell as well because they're like challenges exciting. That's the person that's gonna- It's, it's the body language, it's the response. It's, it's so many things. I mean, you and I have said so many times, like you hire somebody, right? And then two, three weeks into them working with you, you're like, how did I not see that they, you know, how did I not see that they weren't hungry? How did I not see that at 501 every day they run out the door? How did I not see that they, you know, and, and you say, oh, I've said to myself, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, what what kind of test could I put them through to figure out if they've got it? So I think that's a great example. Right. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but the, the I truly believe that sales and leadership are two different things completely. And you can be that great yeah. salesperson, but it's really hard. Like every organization is a reflection of its leader. It's, it's a completely different skill. Would you consider yourself a better leader or a better salesperson? <laughs> rate yourself Probably. on a scale of one to 10. <laughs> yeah. So that's a very vulnerable, I'm probably a better salesperson, honestly, but I aspire to be the better leader. I, I think I have great leadership qualities. We all fall short. Uh, I think I'm a damn good one, but I think like if you were to truly rate me, if there was some magical rating, I think that my salesmanship would win. Uh, but to further elaborate upon your question, I believe, too, that it takes a very special person 
that is naturally, but here's the thing. I am not, and this goes to the next point I'm going to make. I am not naturally gifted at sales. I had to work very, 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 very hard on it um, to get to where I have gotten. Those that are naturally gifted at sales do not make great um, managers because what makes them great at sales naturally is what hurts them from a management position and a leadership position. So if we break it down, what makes a person great at sales is they have the natural gift with people. It's very easy. They're highly money motivated. They lack empathy in most cases, and they don't have to work at a process to become good. So they never suffered. They never felt the pain of sucking. They're just naturally good. Right. Where you and so what you want in a great sales manager or a great sales leader is you want somebody that has empathy, that mm -hmm. understands, hey, listen, I know where you're at. I've been there before. Let me show you how I modify my behavior to find success. Where the natural salesperson is just gonna say, Just go close the deal. It's so easy. Just, I don't understand how you don't do it. understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I that's don't it. understand why you can't get this deal. Get out of my way and do it. Right. <laughs> but that great sales leader. They've had to find a process. They've had to modify. They've had to learn. They've had to train. They've faced, you know, a lot of adversity through building themselves up to get to the point to where they're at. And so your best salesperson in an organization very, very, very rarely will be the person that's right to lead your sales team. Also, sales managers don't make the most money in the company. The top sales rep does. And so the top sales rep is going to have a big problem taking a step down financially so true. for more responsibilities. And so they have to truly, what rewards them truly internally has to be building and coaching other people, right? You know, tell me, tell me more people or give me an example beyond Deion Sanders that was truly a star athlete that ended up being a coach. It's true. Hard to find. Yep. Your stars stay your stars, and the coaches are that middle of the pack people that love building other people up. That's a common mistake, though. A lot of like a lot of sales teams, especially in real estate, they'll they'll promote their top agent to be the 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 manager, which is obviously not uh, not most times not the best move. Everybody has. It's their own never manager. the best move. Yeah. yeah, because you 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 take a hit a dramatic hit on revenue. Yeah, like you're, this guy's putting up two, three hundred thousand dollars a month. You're gonna pull him off, and you think magically he's gonna take everybody that's putting up fifty a month, and they're gonna be putting up that as well. I made the mistake. It do, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have, I guess, in that in that aspect. That's um. Well, this has been helpful. The one person that's listening to this, that's talking uh, or thinking about developing a sales team or refining it. What's one piece of advice you'd want to leave them with? Um. I think you just have to uh, never stop learning, right? You have to be very curious about human psychology. You have to learn to care about people. If you're going to build a big sales team, it's not all stick. It's got to be all carrot. And so you have to be very careful with your words. As a sales leader, your words are your most powerful tool, and you have to learn to use them well. I love that, man. There, there's uh, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell. The the one thing that keeps sticking with me when it comes to leadership, and it's a new skill I'm trying to develop, it's you literally have to be the spinning image of what you want to see in your organization. And that's... I agree with that. Yeah. And it's, it's been something that's like, all right, cool. Now I'm trying to make everybody work out in the morning with me. And it's like holding me even more accountable because I'm like, I cannot, I have to lead by example and I have to go even though I'm in complete pain. And it's I'll just look like I'm talking and not doing it. So... That's carrot, not a stick. 
Love it. Sweet, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This has been great. We really do appreciate you spending some time with us today. And I think everybody watching this will will certainly agree. Yep. If anybody wants to reach out to you, collaborate with you, sign up for your coaching, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, just hit me up on Instagram, at Rim Bartlett. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been great. We really do appreciate it. Thank you again. Yeah, absolutely.